0: Everybody, welcome to another edition of from the other sideline brought to you by frogs today with football season fully in the rear view um, at least until signing day in spring ball. Uh, we are turning our attention on this show to basketball season and in order to kick off our official dive into TCU hoops I brought on um, one of the experts somebody who knows this team has followed them very closely over the last three years and, and I would say is connected to TCU basketball as anybody that I know um i promise he's there behind the screenshot and the the darkened screen right now but we're happy to be joined by Colin Post um TCU alum TCU 360 alum and current writer for 247 sports Colin how are you doing today
1: Melissa i'm doing great sorry about that i um i just went on a run so we're here talking about TCU hoops but i promise you would rather look at that headshot than what i look like right now so
0: yeah this this is my bad for not Colin this. yeah did not give Colin a heads up um Colin, as we are recording this, um, the day after um, what is arguably the greatest regular season win in TCU history, um, can you kind of just just talk us through where that Kansas victory um, at at Lawrence in Lawrence ranks over like recent TCU history as far as regular season wins, and and what that kind of means for the program on a national scale.
1: Absolutely, and and I tweeted these things yesterday. But I just think some really important perspective for fans to know about this win is one: the obvious factor of having never won at Allen Fieldhouse is a huge deal. This is, you know, West Virginia. Places like West Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas all get props for having great environments, and they really do. TC's never won at West Virginia, for instance. But nationally, Allen Fieldhouse is recognized by everyone as one of, if not the best, arenas and environments in the nation. And yesterday was no different. I mean, our friend Jamie Plunkett uh, was there, and he was saying it was deafening. Like, he could barely hear himself think, yet TCU came in and produced the second largest loss um, in the South era in Allen Fieldhouse. It was just absolutely unreal. And I think when you think about TCU versus Kansas, TCU's only beaten Kansas at all, not just at Allen, but at all four times ever. And three of those have come under head coach Jamie Dixon and now the one away uh, victory. This was also the largest margin of victory in the away big 12 game for TCU and TCU history. I mean, just some really big numbers that were broken yesterday and almost what seemed like a curse for TCU in that arena was ended. And I think there are a lot of interesting factors that will get into that, but this win was not one person showing out. It was very complete. And that's how they did it. And I think that's why we saw the ceiling of how good this team can really be.
0: And you to me perfectly into my next point is a lot of this game was billed going into it as kind of the two leading candidates for player of the year in the big 12 conference, Mike miles for TCU and Jalen Wilson for Kansas. Um, you know, Jalen Wilson's on a tear, you know, had 38 point game, um, leading up to the PC game and scored 30, I think 21 in the second half Saturday against the frogs. Um, but Mike has, has shown, um, a much more well-rounded game and maybe it's because he doesn't have to, you know, carry the bulk of the scoring, but when you look at those two players and, and the other contenders for player of the year, where do you rank miles kind of in that conversation? And as we kind of near the halfway point of the league, the league season.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa, because I think what stands out about Jalen Wilson is just his ability to consistently score. He's a forward, and, you know, I think he's like 6'8", 6'7", 6'8", very, very big guy, but he can move like a guard. He shoots like a shooting guard. So he's really just a really talented scorer. However, I, I also think you can throw Marquise Noel in there for Kansas State. He actually, ironically, did not have a very good game in that big win against Kansas. But he's been on a tear since Big 12 play. But I think what separates Miles from all of those is, yes, the 19 points per game, flirting with 20 points a game is something that TCU legend Desmond Bain actually never did uh, for a full season. So if Miles is able to finish around that 20-point mark, I mean, that would just be so impressive. But what's most impressive to me are two things about Mike's season and which is why I've kind of been telling people as someone who's followed him very closely these three years, is he's much more efficient this year. He's shooting career-high 53%, which is about 10% higher than Wilson, and about 8% higher than Noel, and he's much better defensively. If you remember when Mike came into at TCU, I mean, his freshman year, he was like a wet piece of paper defensively, and I've kind of joked with him about that over the last couple of years, but slowly and surely, he's become a much better on-ball defender, and he shows a lot more hustle. He's taken I think eight or nine charges this season already and he's won the toughness award within TCU's practices three times already only won it two times all of last season so he's really stepping up as a leader I think like you said this is a very well-rounded team but this Mike Miles is a much more complete basketball player than I think we've seen by a couple steps and I think it's really showing.
0: You know when he flirted with going to the NBA draft and he, he went through his evaluation process. That's a lot of what was talked about because he's not a really big guy. I mean, he, he's probably six right. one, right? Would be. I mean, he's, he's physically he plays a lot yeah. bigger than that. But you know, he needed to showcase that he could match up with some of the bigger guards on the the perimeter in the NBA in order to be a draftable prospect. As he's he's done that and he's also, I think, become more of a playmaker this year than we've seen. Um, you know, previously, like so much of the onus was on him to score. He's shown he can still do that kind of at will, but he's also gotten a lot better at not just setting his teammates up directly, but kind of that Gretzky assist type player, the pass that leads to the assist. Um, do you think that that what he's doing this season makes him a legitimate, almost guaranteed first round draft prospect? Or are there things that he still needs to work on his game in order to be you know, a, a top shelf NBA prospect this spring.
1: Yeah, I, I was talking to a scout actually a couple of weeks ago that really follows CCU and has been pretty high on Mike the last couple of years. And he said, based on the conversations he's had with other scouts, he still feels like Mike is kind of going under the radar, which I think games like yesterday helps a lot, even though Mike only scored 15 points. He led the charge for that TCU team and the the biggest win any college basketball program has had all year. And I mean that sincerely. And so I think Mike is starting to get more onto the national scene, which is really important. But as we've seen with TCU football this year, when you go to a school that's as as small as TCU, it doesn't matter if you're first team All-Big 12 or All-American, what your coaches do to put you in the spotlight matters. And I think Mm -hmm. TCU basketball is still kind of learning that. And I think as far as his game goes, the three point shooting, I mean, he's shooting thirty one percent right now, which is a little higher than last year. But that is something I think at only six, he's about six two. At only six two, Mike's gonna need to be shooting in the high thirties, if not right around forty percent once he gets to the league, if he wants to really be someone that plays a lot of time. We've seen that's why that's how Desmond Bain is someone who who isn't able to get to the cup as well, is able to Uh, have such a great career in the NBA and I think though Mike is such a great playmaker now at under 200 pounds 6'2", getting to the rim is just not going to be consistently there for him against really strong and big NBA defenses and so that'll be an added part of his game but I do think he's going to need to improve that three-point shooting and off seasons can do that like I said we saw it with Bain I think he can do it too and I would expect that he goes late first round if he keeps this pace up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely think he's an NBA player right now. He kind of gives me almost like a Davian Mitchell with the Sacramento Kings. And that's where I go because that's a big 12 player that's playing for the NBA team. I follow, but um, he he can be that guy that can come off the bench, that can put up 10 points, um, you know, with limited usage, He can, he can grab a couple of assists. And I think he's really um, an exceptional and above average rebounder at his size and position as well, which is something that can keep you in the league for a long time at the guard spot too.
1: Yeah, no, he has really underrated athleticism. If anybody remembers yesterday, hit when he got fouled on that crossover and then caught to the back and dunk it. it was like weird because the camera didn't pan with him, so it was kind of on the right of the camera angle. But it was it kind of showed off. Mike has a ton of bounce, and he really is very athletic. And I think that is an advantage he has over a lot of guys his size. And like you said, it helps him in the rebounding game and just his overall ability. Hey, I mean, you you just really as a guard, cannot have a great NBA career um, if you're not super athletic and you're not super fast Fast, unless you just shoot the crap out of the ball. And Mike does have those two things. And I, I agree. I think that'll really help his profile.
0: You know, I think there's other individual players I want to touch on. But before we move into that, um, you know, the thing that's been really... I don't want to say frustrating is probably too strong of a word for a team that's, you know, been consistently ranked in the top 20 this year, but just the ability to kind of string together those those games where you play well when you're supposed to play well. Um, you know, if you're if you've been following the program, you see that one at Kansas, you see this team kind of clicking on all cylinders and you wonder. How the heck do they lose in Morgantown to a West Virginia team that was winless in Big 12 play? How do they let Iowa State, even though Iowa State's proven to be a very, very good basketball team, you know, how do they let them get three offensive rebounds on the final possession in, in and and to chuck up a three that that ends up costing the Frogs that one? They just are still consistently dropping games that they're quote unquote supposed to win, even when you factor in this is the Big 12 and there are no you know there are no gimmies there are no you know you got you're definitely gonna take this one. What does this team need to do to kind of turn that switch on consistently and and be not just a definitive NCAA tournament team, but a team that's legitimately in contention for a top four seed and, and maybe even a big 12 title?
1: Yeah, I think these are all good questions, because when you think about this team versus last year, it was a big question of have they taken a step forward? And I think something weird that happened over this offseason, and it's not a bad thing, but TCU played so well in the NCAA tournament, nearly Mm -hmm. knocked off what I thought was the best team in the nation at that point. Obviously they ended up losing to Houston in the next round, but what after that, I think TCU fans plus the preseason hype kind of forgot about what happened last year. And if you think about what happened last year, yes, TCU exceeded expectations, but once they got into big 12 play, they only won back-to-back games three times Mm -hmm. and in a 20, Whenever you play eighteen games in a Big Twelve schedule, only winning back to back games three times is just not a good sign at all. And it I think it's a sign of how good the Big Twelve was. But TCU finished eight and ten in conference play. So if you think about that, now compared to this year, I think that's gonna be a big key. Not only is the Big Twelve better, but it's just it's still a gauntlet and you're still gonna do struggle with injuries. And I think we'll touch on that in a second. But TCU needs to string together wins and this win was awesome. But when you think about, yeah, what happened last Wednesday, TCU just really needs to win on Tuesday against a very beatable OU team at home. So I think all of that is important. One for context of remembering, yes, TCU's year last year was awesome, but they really struggled to string together wins. TCU is going to need to do that this year. And then two, I think, yeah, finding added playmakers, ball Damian Ball entered as kind of the other playmaker of this year, and he's been good at times. Emmanuel Miller has been. Shahade Wells was awesome yesterday, had the game of his life. Of course, guys like Eddie Lankin. But then getting guys like Rondell Walker in while Micah Peavy's out, having Micah Peavy come back fully healthy. I mean, this TCU team was built on Mike Miles last year, and they did well because of it. But you do not go to the Elite Eight, much less the Final Four, much less win the best conference in basketball, without being super well-rounded and I think that's going to need to kind of be TCU's focus and it sadly might cost Mike Miles a big 12 player of the year bid but I'll take that over uh, a well-rounded team that goes much further in March than I think this Kansas team will if they don't figure out how to be more well-rounded around Jalen Wilson
0: and I think Mike Miles would agree with you too I think he'd much rather play in an elite Eight. You know, or then be Big 12 Player of the Year. Um, you talk about stringing together wins. The upcoming schedule for the frogs, um, as we record, Tuesday will have already happened by the time this posts. Um, so they'll have Oklahoma at home. We will hope that that'll be a back to back for them. You get that little uh. Kind of that SEC scheduling break, um, I would say, almost. The SEC has some really good teams, but not the Big 12. Uh, They'll travel to Mississippi State to Starkville. should be interesting. Then you get West Virginia at home at Oklahoma State before you go on the road uh, to Kansas State. And so if you can get those three wins in the row in conference, all three certainly winnable games, um, that's going to put the Frogs in a really, really good position. Um, Where they stand right now is is fifth in, in the Big 12 behind Iowa State, Kansas. Texas and Kansas State still leads it at six and one. Um, but they're only, you know, two games off the pace to to catch up with the Wildcats. So I think obviously, you know, this this next two weeks is gonna be critical um for TCU to to get those wins that you're supposed to get um and put yourself in a position to, you know, maybe be a three seed in the Big 12 tournament, which could very easily translate to being a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament.
1: Oh, 100%. And I think an, an added factor that you think about added to yesterday, I've been saying when this team starts to shoot the ball well, they'll be scary. And I keep having people in my comments, well, Colin, there's no if if they never can do it. Well, they shot 53% from three yesterday. So, yes, yeah. they can do it. They do have the ability to. They, they, they are one of the bo- best teams in this conference at their ceiling, yet they shoot a Big 12 worst 29.8% from behind the arc. So and we I, know it's possible, and I, I think that should scare teams, that TCU is this good without shooting the ball well to this point.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll like I'll kind of piggyback on that, too. As, as someone who's you know been around the game since I was four and coached the game since I was 16, I think the reason they're starting to shoot a little bit better from deep is early on in the season, a lot of those three-pointers were coming in the half-court sets, and they were wide open, but they weren't necessarily set up. As this team has kind of found its groove playing fast, Getting out in transition, they're getting more rhythm three pointers, and almost like ninety nine percent of basketball players and shooters shoot better in rhythm than they do kind of out of a set position. That's why guys like Reggie Miller, Steph Curry, and some of the elite three point even Desmond Bain, uh, the elite three pointer shooters in the league, you see them shooting coming off of screens or shooting it out of motion because it's just a lot easier of a shot to right. take, and so. Yeah, I think those two things are not mutually exclusive. I think that as they've found their rhythm offensively, out in transition, and and in more of a hurried up half court set, the the shots start to fall. I don't see this team being an elite or even above average three point shooting team, but I agree with you if they can just kind of get to you know the national average for you know top top fifty teams in Ken Palm um, from behind the arc, then that to me is going to add another five to ten points a game for a team that already has shown that they can kind of run by you and run through you. If they can start hitting, you know, 38%, 37% as a team, uh, they're going to be really, really dangerous come March. And I think that's something they have to do if they want to advance to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And that's really great insight on the three-point shooting. I think, you know, it's funny. Everything is the same within sports. We talked about why TCU was so good football-wise this year with a similar roster that was in five wins last year, they learned how to put people in position to succeed. You look at this TCU team shooting wise, it's not like they just mythically lost any guy that was able to shoot. But now we're seeing, look, Emmanuel Miller shoots a really high percentage from the corner. Let's get him looks there. Yeah. Kobe Coles. He like literally lost 50 pounds this off season, worked his butt off and he shoots really well from the elbows. Like Mike Miles is going to, He's he's a type of guy that wants to shoot from one of the elbows, typically off the dribble. It's just like figuring those guys out. Chuck O'Bannon, but good from the corner as well, not as good from the wing. So, trying to figure that out um, and put them in sets, as you said, Melissa, I think is super important. Not only for just literal basketball terms, but for these guys' confidence. And I think more than anyone, Chuck O'Bannon is a confidence guy. Mm-hmm. And man, if he gets hot, like TCU has a really really good chance to win in, in pretty much any game. And so. I think that's a really good point and we'll be interested to see if if that's something they continue to improve on after yesterday.
0: I think a ton of credit goes to Jamie Dixon too, because as, as, if you've listened to any of the broadcasts, people that haven't been at the games of watching them on TV um, every single broadcaster to a person has said, man, this is not the way Jamie Dixon typically wants to play. But a ton of credit goes to him for going against his style and playing a style that works for his players. Um, that, that's a huge, huge credit to him as a coach. Um, you mentioned Emmanuel Miller. I want to talk about Emmanuel Miller. I think this guy uh, legitimately might be one of the most underappreciated players, not just in the Big 12, but nationally. What have you, how has he become such a bigger piece of this team on both ends of the floor in year two in, uh, in Fort Worth?
1: Yeah, I think what was interesting about last year is he was trying to kind of figure out his role. A lot of people forget that he led AM in scoring with 18 points a game before he came to TCU. Now he's coming to a place where scoring wise, you know, last year he he was probably fourth option most games, fifth option. And so I think that's really interesting when you think about last year. You gotta remember that and think, man, Emmanuel kind of had a bit of a um, a bit of a learning curve when he came to TCU of how to play. What I think is really interesting about him is the number one factor is he is the leader of this team. And I think what's cool is Miles has developed more leadership abilities. He's a naturally quiet guy. Uh, so that's really awesome, and I do want to applaud him for that. But Emmanuel Miller is the heart and soul of this team. And after they lost against Iowa State and then after they lost against Texas, he, he was the guy in the press conferences that was talking about motivation and how they needed to come back from these losses. After the Texas loss, you know, he went on an entire rant about how life is just hard. You know, Going to work, taking care of kids is hard. I was like, I, I don't know if I'm reading a book on seven habits of effective people right now are listening to a college basketball player. And so anyway, I think that's super important to note is that he really gels this team together. But then I, I already mentioned the shooting. That's been super awesome. He's one of the top, I, I, he's been one. I don't know if he still is, but he shoots 58% from the field, which was one in the Big 12. It might still be for a really long time. Um, he's averaging 14 points a game, which has just been super key for TCU as they've had different lineups coming in and out. And then he only shoots about two threes a game, but he's shooting 48%. And so people having to guard him out there as a, as a big man who's super athletic, super fast, that opens up TCU's offense a lot and allows him get to, to get to the rim and, and have that kind of efficient, close-to-the-basket offense that he has. So he's a really complete player, also a great rebounder, I think, besides Lampkin, probably the second-best rebounder on this team and, and just does pretty much everything. And uh, he had a pretty bad game yesterday. And what's cool about that is I know Emmanuel Miller is really focusing on having uh, an incredible outing on Tuesday and he's not letting it get to him, uh, which I can't say about everybody on this roster. And so, yeah, I just love everything about him. And I think if you put his attitude into a lot of guys in the country, uh, they'd be a lot better. So.
0: He's also probably has got to lead the team in deflections. Like he, that dude's hands are everywhere on the defensive yeah. side of the ball, and um, he's had a couple of huge blocks too in key situations in Big 12 play. Um, he he really is just like you said, a, a complete player. Um, I've been kind of comparing him to like early Lamar Odom. Um, that's kind of the NBA comp I get. He's he's obviously like Lamar Odom was a superstar. I'm not saying Emmanuel Miller is that, but when you look at the skill set and the ability to impact the game on both ends of the floor, both those guys do similar things. Um, and I don't see any reason why Emmanuel Miller can't kind of be a guy that carves out a role of professional basketball um, with the abilities that he has on both ends of the floor. Um, you kind of dropped in a little something um, there that I'm, I'm going to press you on now is, is the mentality of this team. Um, I think we saw it very early in the season. Uh, it's really easy when you're not any good to just go into work and do your job. It gets really hard when the lights start to turn on and, and shine bright. Um, this team returned a lot, but it seemed like there was not a lot of maturity early on. Is that something that, that you, as someone who's kind of connected to those guys personally, has seen that maturity grow? Have they kind of settled into, we can't read the press clippings, we can't look at our ranking, we have to go out and, and take care of business? Or do you think that that is still a concern as you kind of turn the corner down the stretch and you start getting ready for postseason basketball?
1: No, I think you're definitely right about the beginning of the season. And what's interesting is, I can't share all of this story or who was involved, but I was told that when the strength and conditioning, the new guy for TCU basketball, Gary Christopher came in, his official title is associate, associate director of human performance, but he does what cause does for the basketball team. When he came in this summer, he was forcing dudes to actually work. And I don't know if that was super uh, appealing, let's just say (laughs) to some of the guys on the team. And I think, We could see that when the season started and I don't really buy the fact that this team was just so bad. Northwestern state. I mean, Mike was out, Damien was out and and Northwestern state just played their mind off, but you saw at the beginning of the year, there seemed to be this mentality issue. And I just kept seeing these elements, you know, people on the bench, frustrated, arguing with each other, was hearing that they were pissed. Plus people were injured. And it just seemed like, man, are they, are they going to get focused? And I think, a couple of things that I've learned over the course of the year is that, yes, like they've gotten really focused because they've seen how good they can be. One, I've ne- I've learned that since that happened this summer, coach, coach G they call him or, or Gary Christopher has become a, a, a player favorite within the program. Mm-hmm. They love him. He's like a friend to them, but he also has done wonderful things for them, their bodies and their ability to run up the floor, as we've seen in their nation leading fast break effort. And then also, you see guys caring about one another and also caring about like caring hard about losses. And I think that's important. I already mentioned the way Miller talked after Texas, but even more than that, I mean, I just heard that after the Texas game and, and even this week after they lost to West Virginia, I mean, guys were just pissed because they know what their ceiling is and it's not this like, woe is me type of piss. It's like, man, we're we're not, we're not going to do that again. Like that's just not going to be, the effort we put forth again because that's not who we are and then I think too you you see a guy that gets a lot of question for his attitude and Eddie Lampkin yesterday going out there after halftime a physically questionable decision but yeah you see the effort he's putting in easily sat out and I don't think TCU loses had he not played but he still had a huge impact he scored that awesome bucket he was getting offensive rebound so this team has started to see who they can be, and I think that motivates them. And, yes, there are a lot of guys on this team that do not have Emmanuel Miller's attitude, but I think that, that his confidence is, um, breeds confidence, and, and they're really start to, to gel and, and believe in themselves. And uh, I don't think we're going to see I, – I could be wrong, but I don't think we're going to see a huge stretch of, of, of tough performances from this team like we did at points last season.
0: You mentioned Eddie Lampkin and I think that what's been really interesting to me is the way that kind of the Eddie Lampkin, Jacoby Coles, Xavier Cork kind of um, uh, forward rotation has has kind of fallen into a groove here over the last couple of weeks. Um, Jamie Dixon doesn't necessarily have a traditional back to the basket post player. Eddie Lampkin's the closest thing to that, but I I don't know that I'd call him traditional, Um, but Xavier Cork and Jacoby Coles Another couple of really unsung heroes. Um, you talked about the the transformation that the, both those guys, I think, put in with their bodies this year. What have you seen as kind of their biggest improvement on the, the court and how important are they to what TC wants to accomplish deep into March?
1: Yeah, so I think to start there, I think Cork is probably the guy I think still has the most room to grow, and that's mm-hmm. a good sign. TC is playing really well without him playing as well as I thought he would to be honest, over the offseason, I heard that he kind of dominated practices all the time. And so I think what's interesting about that is he's still getting over this learning curve of um, kind of trying to figure out, man, what what's my role on this team? Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to point out about, about Cork is lately, he's been, he's been doing a great job confidently uh, of getting to the post. He's been getting to the foul line a lot consistently. He's only shooting a little over 60% from the foul line. But Since Big 12 play started, he's consistently been hitting two for two from the line. So just little things, I think, do matter from from Cork. But I I think far and away the the most improved guy on this team is Jacoby Coles. And he's only averaging 7.2 points a game on the season. But when you think about what he's done just since Big 12 play started, one, he just opens up the floor. But, I mean, we're looking at games eight, seven, six, nine, two. Nothing crazy, but that spurt is really, really helpful because of his size. But now that he's lost the weight, his ability to move and stretch the floor, he shoots really well from three. And I just heard that over the offseason, he just was really kind of dejected about the way last year went and was just kind of disappointed in how little he was able to contribute because he knew how good he was. And I've heard from Mike, that just how good Jacoby was in high school. And it just kind of surprised me last year. And I think he worked really hard with his dad over the offseason to get some of that confidence back, lose weight, get in good shape. And it's really showing. So um, I think, yeah, those guys have just been awesome. And then, uh, of course, Eddie, you mentioned Eddie. I mean, he hasn't improved statistically that much more from last year. He's averaging uh, one more point and a couple more rebounds a game. But uh, just, the energy he brings and um, he is so unpredictable in a good way of he yeah. could give you 17 or, or 18 a night. And uh, I think his ability to get uh, rebounds is, is really um, unreal. Like it's, it just blows my mind every time I watch him because he just can maneuver his body and, and, and box out really well. And he really scares other teams on the sense that guys just hate, you know, if you've ever played, even just pick up basketball, you hate that guy that's always boxing out, that's always getting rebounds, and, and that's kind of what Eddie does. So, yeah, those guys are huge for this team, and what's cool is um, you can win games with all of them scoring five or six points, but if any of them come out with double-digit points, I mean, that's just like a huge boost for this squad, especially if it comes on a day when one of the other three or four guys um, is kind of having an off day offensively.
0: I'll tell you that that Eddie's one of those guys that I watch. And, um, you know, the only reason he doesn't average a double, double every night is, is because of Eddie. And I think that when he kind of gets over that hump of, of knowing, you know, I think he's still kind of in that conserving energy kind of, kind of mode. Um, And if he could ever just get it locked in for the full 40 minutes a night, um, that, that dude would be a double, double machine. And he's certainly capable of it. We've seen that in spurts and stretches, but again, it's just that same thing as the rest of this team, if they can do that consistently, um, the only thing that's stopping TCU right now to me is is TCU. um, and and I think all the pieces are there, and you, we're seeing that incremental improvement, and they've really locked it in for big twelve play. but it, but if they can string together like two great weeks, um, I think people could start getting really excited about the the long-term potential. Um, do you have any information for us on Eddie's ankle um and Micah PV now has missed four games? Um with with no uh, definitive sign of return for him. Do you know anything going on um, with their injury situations? How important is getting Micah PV back for this TCU team down the home stretch?
1: Yeah, I think well, I'll start with Micah um, once again, just a situation where can't share everything just for his privacy sake,. But, but on a sense of I would just say TCU fans need to know that Micah PV's injury it is a blessing. how minor it was compared to what it could have been, what it was very close to being. And um that is a really good thing. And so I think TCU has tried to protect optimism by saying game time decision. When they say game time decision for four days or four games ago, I knew he wasn't playing. And yeah, I would expect he does not play. I'm almost certain he won't play Tuesday. would be shocked if he plays Saturday. I would say next week uh, t- or so 10 days from now is probably – the best target, but I would not be surprised if he misses a few more weeks. And that's okay. TCU's playing great. I mean, their defensive efficiency, uh, uh, whatever it's called, on Ken Palm is up to 14 right now. I mean, they are one of the best defensive teams in the nation. To your point, though, I think he will add a really awesome on-ball defender with length that can guard a guy like Jalen Wilson uh, when it gets down the stretch. So really helpful to get him back, plus he was getting some offensive groove. So the good news is you don't need him. The, the, the bad news is uh, you could be a lot better with him. As far as Eddie goes, uh, I talked to him today and he said he just doesn't know yet about Tuesday. And so been waiting to get, um, and obviously by the time people listen to this podcast, I guess we'll know about Tuesday already. But uh, I would just say he's optimistic as he always is. He was wearing a boot last night when he got back to Fort Worth, but uh, waiting to kind of hear a full report after they practice today. And we'll figure that out. I would say. I do not expect him to play Tuesday, and would would assume he plays Saturday. But I hope I'm wrong, um, uh, and and I think TCU could really use him against an OU team that doesn't have much dominant yeah. presence inside.
0: And Mike got a little bit banged up Saturday too. Um, it looked like after the game he was moving around fine. Um, any anything we need to be concerned about with him and his health going forward?
1: No, uh, Mike. That was just cramps. Uh, he you know he he hits the ground with much we we know this so he's fine he was doing great yesterday I would say yesterday was probably one of the best days of Mike's time at TCU as far as how he was feeling he had he had an awesome day and just loved um loved everything about yesterday no he's fine
0: oh I I think Kevin Mike is the post-game interview on that national you know in front of a national audience national stage on CBS um is a great that's a great ambassador for for TCU um his smile and how genuinely happy he was like a lot of players in that situation kind of give the oh it's just another day always oh, no, know Mike, Mike let people know how important this was for TCU and I think that uh, his personality he is like you said a quieter guy by nature but when he lets that personality out um he's he's a great ambassador for TCU um Colin as we as we kind of turn the corner TCU will have played everybody once here um uh, pretty quickly I think by the end of the week um, what are your expectations for the Horn Frogs the second half of the Big 12 season, and as they start to think about uh, the NCAA tournament?
1: Yeah, I think what I said about stringing together wins is just going to be super key. But I think what you said about this stretch is really important. You got to win the games that you're you are supposed to, but specifically at home. And so TCU on this stretch uh, they get Oklahoma, Mississippi State, um, and I believe. Uh, they get Oklahoma State as well, and mm-hmm. just a, a stretch where you need to win games. So, yeah, I think I expect TCU realistically to, to finish as high as a second or third in the Big 12. I'm kind of waiting to see if Kansas State hits a, a learning curve or if they're as good as we think they are. I still expect Kansas to finish as the best team in the conference. We'll see about that. But I think this team could absolutely be a four, three or four seed in the NCAA tournament, but two factors that will really affect that. One, health. Can they stay healthy? Um, and then two, are they able to capitalize on a couple of things that I think are going really well for them right now when it comes to low turnover margin and then high shooting and the Kansas game? Those two things need to stay good for TCU to strengthen their wins. So I think ceiling, like I said, is probably second or third in the Big 12 and a three or four seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but I will say this team has potential to do even more than that. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see, but uh, it, it is a gauntlet in the big 12. And so very scary. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of have to just see how things shake out.
0: Last question, you know, based off of last season, based off what we've seen this season, what, does, what is the minimum baseline TCU has to reach in order to consider this year a success? Do they have to make the elite eight? Do they have to, you know, get to the sweet 16? Like, what do you think is, is a realistic, but the bare minimum that they have to do for you to look back and say, yeah, the CCU team reached its potential or maybe exceeded it.
1: Yeah, I think for a Big 12 play, you have to hit 500 or better, which would be a slight improvement and from last year. I think they can win 12, 13 games for Big 12 this year. So mm-hmm. I, I think you need to do that because this team has not done that in a long time. And then two, I, to, to me, to be a success. I think you just need to get to win a tournament game. And I know fans aren't going to love me saying that because every year you feel like you need to just keep going up. The NCAA tournament is so unpredictable and uh, it's so hard to tell uh, how good your team actually was just based on what happens on a neutral court in March. I think the regular season is much more telling. However, you can't go lose in your first game uh, with as talented as this team is, especially if there are three or four seeds. So, uh, I, I think to be a major success, yes, you get to the second weekend. But uh, I think as long as you win your first game and go 500 or better in Big 12 play, this team is showing significant improvement and and uh, it, the trend is up for this program.
0: Colin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, tell people where they can find you on social media. I know it's limited at this time um, and also where they can find your work.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, you can find me at at Colin with one LP underscore three on Twitter. Um uh, and then at horn frog blitz i write for jeremy clark over there he does a great job on football and i i do some basketball stuff so any tidbits i have on basketball will be there so yeah you can find uh find my work there and uh also just love what melissa and prox today are doing um their content it's just amazing and, and some of the best when it comes to covering tcu with the entire big 12.
0: Oh uh, look at you throwing a plug in for me while i'm trying to plug you that's why we love you colin uh, thanks so much for joining us today. We look forward to watching TC Basketball, see if they can uh, reach those goals down the stretch.
1: Yeah, thanks, Melissa. Go frogs.